We interrupt your regularly scheduled podcast for the following disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. The following episode of For and Against talks about a whole range of fun, iconoclastic and sometimes outrageous goings on in the world of sport off the field of play. This episode contains commentary and banter about cryptocurrencies, NFTs and other potentially investable collectibles. Please note that all comments are general in nature and do not in any way represent financial advice. No matter how knowledgeable, humorous, or good-looking the team sounds, the information presented in this episode has been prepared for entertainment purposes and does not take into account your particular financial needs, circumstances, and objectives, and is therefore not suitable to be acted on as investment advice. You should assess your own financial situation and may wish to consult an advisor before you make any changes to your financial affairs. We now return you to your spectacularly scheduled programming and the next episode of For and Against. Yes, welcome to For and Against, where we take a look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. My name is Paul Roach, welcoming you to another show, and very excitingly welcoming our usually Melbourne-based team member, Stephen Riley, to For and Against headquarters. How are you coping with all the gleaming lights and winking panels here in uh, the Mothership, Steve? Oh, oh my God, it's so weird not looking at you guys as rectangular heads. Uh, are you going to be another speaker who says, oh, isn't it great to be face-to-face and not looking at you on the screen? I was trying not to be, but yeah. then you introduced me that way and I was got, sort of got cornered. Yeah, fair enough. My apologies. Uh, and of course, uh, still in the mothership uh, as normal, David Gill. G'day, Bear. How are you? Glad to be here as always. And Simon Johnson. Jono, welcome to you as well. Thanks, Rochi. Good for all four of us to be in the same room. It is, isn't it? Uh, so ahead on the show, the, the pain, pain. How did Tim Payne let us down like that? And how did Cricket Australia let Tim Payne like, down like that? Uh, so many ways of cutting that one. Also, crypto in sport. You've seen the sponsorship signage. We'll talk to sports geek Sean Callanan about this brave new revenue revenue source for sports and teams. We'll also look at the all-time earners list in sport. And, of course, we'll wrap up the show with Red Card, Yellow Card, where we point the finger at all those questionable off-field behaviours across the sporting world. Do use the hashtag RCYC if you see one so that we can be across it. Uh, and as to the socials, Twitter at for and against underscore on Insta for dot. Let's start that again for dot and dot against and the old fashioned email for and against at hotmail.com. Okay, so let's kick off. Tim Payne, Tim, Timmy, Timmy Payne, the man who was the solution to all of Australian cricket's ills, who had never so much as set eyes on a piece of sandpaper. Well, it turns out he's uh, he's imperfect too, and quite possibly won't play international cricket again. So a very brief chronology for those who perhaps are new to the planet this last week or so. So in, in November 2017, uh, he and a female staff member at Cricket Tasmania were exchanging some text messages, which got a little bit out of control, and Timmy sent some lewd ones. Uh, in March of 2018, he was made captain after Steve Smith was axed for well-documented reasons. In May 2018, an internal Cricket Australia and Cricket Tasmania investigation uh, gave Timmy the all-clear. And in November 2021, after a couple of close calls, it uh, finally all got made public. And as a little kicker, uh, shortly after it got made public, the lady in question filed a sexual harassment claim. Uh, all of that was over a third person uh, at Cricket Tasmania, not Timmy uh, or his brother-in-law, who's also implicated in, in what's going on. 
Uh, and then, of course, the icing on the cake is she's uh, in court in January 2022 facing criminal charges. And so this timeline's important, guys, because looking back, you can't help wonder if things couldn't have been handled a little bit differently. I think it's uh, it's definitely one of those cases uh, where hindsight is twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and when you grow through the chronology um, with the benefit of, of time and, and not being personally involved in the issue, it seems almost unbelievable that this chain of events has unfolded in, in the way that it has. Um, I guess it was a little bit more difficult um, for the people in, in Cricket Australia in the hot seat, so to speak, but I'm sure if they had their time again, they maybe would have handled it a little bit differently. Well, I think this is the interesting thing. I don't think hindsight is 2020. The The new chair said, oh, if we were the the, chair, the hmm. board at the time, we'd have handled things differently. And then the, the people who were there have said, hmm. well, actually, we stand by it for you know whatever reason. I think it's really interesting that it's it's not... Super obviously clear cut. cut. Yeah. It's pretty sad, isn't it? I mean, the whole thing is, um, you, you think about it from different angles, but think about Tim's wife, Bonnie, what she's going through, obviously the lady in question, it's a, a pretty ordinary situation. Could it have been handled differently? I mean, the way I look at it is if um, after he'd been appointed as captain and he had, or Cricket Tasmania and Cricket Australia had disclosed what had happened, could he have done that and then ridden it out, so to speak, at that at that point in time? Potentially, yes, um, if it had been handled that way. But the problem was, wasn't it, that Tim Payne had been sold to us all as the mm. Queenskin and the saviour of Australian cricket. So, Which wasn't his doing. That was the, the He was pushed out to us by Cricket Australia. He certainly went along with it, though, didn't he? Concur. And all against the, the backdrop of the, the culture review. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I think... Um, I think it is a case where you can say it could have been handled differently and maybe in the in the way that, that Simon suggested. And I think the fact that the protagonists of the time are saying, no, 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 we did the right thing. Well, you know, they're just defending themselves as any, anybody. Their own would, legacy. Mm. Um, in the situation. But I, I don't think it would have been that easy for them when it happened. And mm. I think they would have had not a lot of time to think about it. They dealt with, I mean, what had been a train wreck of PR for 12 months. They probably just wanted just wanted a break and maybe took the easy option and the easy options often not the best option in the long run. Cover up is often worse than the crime, as they say. Absolutely. Well, um, Simon Longstaff, who did the very well-known ethics review back in 2018 after Sandpaper Gate, had said what, suggested what you did, which is, you know, ethically they probably should have been transparent about it and he believes that Tim Payne might have survived it. I personally disagree. I think mm. I think Tim Payne would have been destroyed. I think it's really interesting to see uh, Candace Warner's uh, David Warner's wife's view on this. That you know, effective, she's saying the way they've acted now, in terms of letting him resign but letting him be a player, Cricket Australia was still in the wrong because they were saying, well, you're saying it's not okay for a captain to do this, mm-hmm. which it isn't, but you're saying it's okay for a player to do this. By by allowing him to continue playing, yeah, because he's yeah. the one, of course, that that's decided to pull a pin on the playing of the cricket. That's well, the right. reality was he probably had a tap on the shoulder, didn't he? And yeah, he probably had to resign. But yeah, I completely take Candace's point there. I and think I, that's a fair point. I think I saw something where Rod Cavalier, the former um, head of the SCG Trust, uh, asked out loud, "Why did uh, Cricket Australia become so pious all of a sudden um, when they had exonerated him uh, with their their review a few years ago?" But then, yeah, pull the well let him go, or certainly pull the pin on the captaincy, and then didn't put up too much of a fight, it seemed, when Tim said he needed to have a bit of a break. It's a council of perfection, though, isn't it? I mean, we're holding 
um, captains yeah. and the Australian cricket captain up to such a phenomenally high standard. Is that fair? Is that something that we think is reasonable? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm not sure you were saying personally that you feel like it's inappropriate behaviour for, for an Australian captain, but I think it's a, a fair question to ask. I, I think he, he made a mistake. He probably wouldn't do the same thing if if he if he had another chance. But I don't think he was doing anything wrong. It was a it was a private exchange between consenting adults. He he took it a little bit too far, but I think um, he he crossed the line. But he didn't he didn't kind of push the disadvantage, so to speak. I think he crossed a pretty big line. Mm. It was with a colleague, a work colleague, and it went a bit far with the picture that was sent. Mm. I think it'd be fair to say. But um, I, sure, for, for sure. But I think he thought that he had been given. A, a green light. A green light to do and that, and he was and he was wrong. Yeah. Um, but I think he. I don't think there was anything malicious in what he did. And if there's a so-called crime, then it's a crime to Mrs. Payne. Mm. And you know he's done his amends by all reports, and they're dealing with what is no doubt a pretty horrific situation at home right now. But we're we're back in the, you know cricket Australia's own words. So back in uh, you know 2018, uh, when when he was given the captaincy, and he and Josh Hazelwood you know fronted the press. And Josh Hazelwood was saying, you know, we are, uh, we can only be held responsible for how we act on and off the field 24 7. We're Australian cricketers. And this now, is, sorry, at the re- just for the chronology, this is at the release of the Longstaff report. The, oh, you know, the culture. True. Yep. You're right, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is, and, and, and to be fair to Josh, I, you know, I, I don't know that these are his own words I, or, or not, hmm. right? But they've, they've actually gone public saying this is the standard. Yep. And Tim's sitting right next to him. And what's going through his mind at the at the time? Maybe what you said, Dave, that you know this is a personal, private matter, and you know, but maybe not. Yeah. No, I, I don't. I mean, I think this would have been haunting him for oh, well, the last three years. He said, said as much. He yeah. said as much. Yes. Yeah, so, so that presser was October 2018. So three or four months after those internal investigations. Yeah, he's he said on a number of occasions that he was expecting it to come out come out early. And there's obviously been a couple of close calls. The late this interests me. The lady in question and. Apparently, it wasn't eventually decided it wasn't in her interest or anyone else's, but her interest to go public. So I, I, we still not haven't got to the bottom of how it's become public, as I understand it. Is that correct? I think it's still a bit of a source of mystery. There's rumours that it was leaked by a Cricket Australia staffer, a disaffected staffer. But uh, yeah, certainly from everything I've read, it's it's not the lady in question. Um, she never wanted this to come out in public uh, and deliberately decided that she didn't want to go to the press previously. So yeah, awful story. So... Uh, our organisations, be it sporting or otherwise, but let's confine ourselves to sporting, do they have some sort of obligation to defend their their people, their players, when it's when a, when something is defensible? Like I think this, you know, to your point, Gilly, this is defensible. You can mount an argument and say, look, what Tim did was wrong, but you know, is it worthy of sacking as being sacked as captain? Maybe as you know, it got to the point where it's got, probably not, because it seems to me that organisations are happy just flicking it. Here's a problem. Court of public opinion. It was fine three years ago when we just did an internal thing, but now the media's got hold of it, social media's got hold of it. Let's just get rid of the problem. And rather than go and say, no, we think this is this is a, this person's right or our decision three years ago is right or, or Tim's not in the wrong, it's a lot easier, it seems to me, once the whole court of public opinion gets gets going, just to flick it. doesn't matter whether what the rights and wrongs are. You mean flick the issue or flick the player? Well, by flicking the player, you flick the issue. Yeah, I think that's the danger, right? At the moment, they're seeing no choice but to flick players, and, yeah. and that's that's a shame. And I think it it gets really interesting when 
the allegations are about something that happened a long, long time ago and no one's producing, you know, really verifiable evidence and the Twitterati get ahead of steam. And that, that, that's when it starts to get, you know, really interesting. Do they people write it out and say nothing to see here? Or do they flick the play? And I'd like to think, particularly for our bigger sports, that there's enough leadership for people to put these things into perspective. But sometimes that's really hard to do. Well, we're seeing a similar situation with Michael Vaughan um, in England right now. And he's being uh, accused of making racist remarks, I think, over a decade ago. Yeah, 2009. Um, he's fiercely contesting those allegations, but it... The, the, it's a principle of our legal system that you're innocent until you're proven guilty. But not if you work the, in the media or in sport, there's an exception. I'm not sure what case that was in. But. <laughs> Your Honour. Um, but it's one of those things. I mean, it's I've heard the Vaughan uh, scenario referred to as an example of cancel culture. So you have a bunch of people who've made these allegations. Then, it, as you say, um, the Twitterati get a hold of it and it becomes such a PR firestorm that the individual feels that he or she has no option but to fall on their sword. And I must say, I mean, I, who knows with the Michael Vaughan situation? I mean, the allegation is from Azim Rafiq that he that Michael made a racist remark before a game in 2009. Doesn't sound good. I think two other um, Pakistani players have backed up uh, and have corroborated the, the version of events. But Vaughan has steadfastly denied that he made those comments. Um, and as you say... Dave, like it's 11 years ago, he's never been accused of anything faintly like this in his career before, and yet he's lost his job over it. Yeah, and it's, it's not really natural justice. I mean, in, in, mm. in the legal system, you have statute of limitations, so nobody could take legal action against him now for what he said in 2009. But again, if you're a sports person, if you're a media personality, that rule just doesn't apply. That privilege no longer applies to you. And I think that's perhaps what I was slightly clumsily trying to express, the fact that um, it's all very well for justice and the law to have a certain process and you'd be afforded certain rights, but that just doesn't exist. Because, I mean, the BBC, as I understand it, dropped Vaughan pretty pretty quickly. Did, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, so he won't be commentating for the, for the Ashes. I mean, I think they're taking the Australian feed anyway, um, so he, he probably wouldn't have been, but, yeah, he was definitely sacked by the BBC. Mm. But you, you end up a, a lot with... Uh, well, you, if you are the let's let's say that you're the victim. Of, I think the best example is Colin Kaepernick, right? That he was um, gold standard in all this. Yep, he was cancelled for kneeling during the national anthem. Then Nike took up his cause, and he was vaunted. You know, um, but he hasn't been picked up again to to play. Right, he has effectively been you know taken yep. away from the very top, playing at the very top of the NFL, to now only being making a living out of advertising. Mm. Which you can make quite a good living oh, out of just of advertising, which we'll come to later on when we talk about the top earners in sport. <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, it's uh, it, it's an interesting one. And uh, I don't think we're going to solve any of the problems right here, but, uh, yeah, there's a bit of a stand. There's two different standards, isn't there? There's the justice system and then there's reality. <laughs> if, if only we had, like, three more minutes, we could solve it. Damn. <laughs> but, unfortunately, all we have to say is uh, looking forward to the ashes uh, this summer. And we must move on uh, to talk about crypto in sport. Have you noticed there's a new industry in town throwing sponsorship dollars around and big dollars at that, getting prime positions on sports fields, on jerseys, racetracks and being endorsed by the biggest names in sport? It's crypto, the, uh, the payment method based on blockchain technology. 
and, amongst other things, favoured by purveyors of merchandise of dubious quality in the dark web. But anyway, uh, cryptocurrencies, it's hardly mainstream. It's, it's largely unregulated. It can be quite volatile in its performance. And it's attracted more than its fair share of questionable characters. And yet here we are with a newly cashed up industry seeking exposure and a very willing sports industry welcoming a newfound source of funds. Oh, my God. You, you think that this is new? Oh my God! It, you know, crypto is in the middle of a perfect storm. We've had crypto. We've had uh, COVID boredom, a whole lot of people at home with uh, savings that they don't know what to do with, and extra impetus coming from stimulus coming from the government. And they go, "Where can I put this money?" Hmm, share market not so great. Hmm, <laughs> can't buy a house. This, you can't buy a house. Too expensive. Crypto. I hear people are making a fortune, mm. and they don't know anything because they all look like numbskulls or uh, you know YouTubers. And so off, and, and therein lies the birth of an industry. And now it's gone big time. We've seen it with NFTs. We've seen it effectively the equivalent of baseball cards we talked about a, a while back. Mm. But now the Staples Center, the home of the LA Lakers, has signed a deal worth over $700 million. Mm. That's dollars, not Bitcoin, which is interesting and perhaps <laughs> a, a message on itself for the next 20 years. About, about Crypto.com is, uh, is the new sponsor. Crypto.com. So Crypto.com. Center. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That won't be the Staples Center. My mistake. There's yeah. a certain irony in um, the, the company that, that specialises in office supplies being booted for a, well, I'm not sure it's irony, maybe it's just progress, being booted for a crypto crypto firm. Um, look, here to enlighten us further on this brave new world is the expert on all things digital in sport, the founder of Sports Geek, Sean Callan. And hi, Sean. It's good to have you on the show. Uh, g'day, guys. Good to be on. Uh, so, Sean, what's your take on the this recent and sudden flood of crypto funds in a sport? And I'm I'm thinking more from a reputational point of view because it, it is potentially a case of fools rush in, where angels fear to tread. Is it not, or, or is my perception that crypto is all sort of a bit wild west already actually outdated? And and these sponsorship do- dollars are both legitimate and sustainable. Oh, it's it's a bit of column A and a bit of column B. To to be honest, okay. um, there there is there has been a you know a rush of uh blockchain technology so i guess there's a few bits to unpack around Mm. blockchain as a technology um and what it offers um in its ledgers and being able to balance things and then a lot of these uh a lot of this tech is built on blockchain and crypto uh is the currency that's built on on the blockchain and so crypto.com um is a a place where you can buy these cryptocurrencies and speculate uh, whether you're buying some Bitcoin or whether you're buying some Ethereum or whether you're buying some Solano, like all these different coins that you can buy. Um, And so the sponsorship, um, so there's now these new players, uh, CoinSpot, Coinbase, Crypto.com that want to be your broker Mm. uh, in the same way that you used to buy shares or and those kind of things so that's where the land grab is at the moment um so crypto.com uh yeah will be the crypto.com arena um you know lakers fans are really annoyed that it's no longer staples i'm like again it doesn't seem strange uh you know being office supplies and them having some sentimentality to it uh hmm. but yeah i think it i hope it ends up being called a crypt uh, oh, I think course. that'd be good. Of course, um, yeah, it won't be good for you know the crypto.com guys, but I think that might be what it is colloquially known as. Um, you know, and twenty million dollar deal for for thirty years uh, um, is you know remarkable, seven hundred million over overall. Um, but what you will look at if you go look at crypto.com's coin, uh, it's doubled in price since that announcement. 
So, so there's that side of it. So from a sports point of view, a lot of the crypto money that's coming into sport from a sponsorship point of view, they want brand awareness. They want to be seen on a, on a, on a jersey, on a, on a shirt in the EPL. Uh, so people go, oh, hang on, I'm going to start buying some coins. What app am I going to use? And so it's customer acquisition strategy for them, which is the same as, you know, the electricity companies have mm. been sponsoring the cricket. Uh, telcos have been sponsoring sport for many, many years as an acquisition strategy and as a as a brand leader strategy. That's what they're doing right now. Um, but for me, the interesting bit is, I guess, the tech and the products that are also coming into sport and how they might transform how um, how we interact with our sports teams now and our and our sports stars that we might follow. I think that is interesting, isn't it? That uh... You know, we're, uh, oh, I don't know how many shows ago we talked about baseball cards and how that was yep. an analogy for what you can do with NFTs. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I reckon there's another angle on this as well, which, which relates to gambling. But maybe we'll come to that in a little bit mm. in a bit. But I think this this whole idea of a sponsor that yeah, is able to start to monetize those moments, those amazing sporting moments, and I, I don't, I haven't seen it in the. Uh, in the press, but do you think there's some deals going on for Crypto.com having uh, exclusive or maybe preferential access to great moments at what we now call the Staples Center? Yeah, uh, potentially. I mean, that's something that, that they potentially might wrap into their sponsorship, but that's sort of a, like one category that has been one of the hottest categories in sport. Uh, so that collectibles market. Uh, the NFTs, the non-fungible tokens, and yeah, the the trading card analogy is a good one. Um, you know, I ran a trading card store in in Hawthorne many many years ago, trading upper deck cards, top cards, Michael Jordan, Larry Johnson rookie cards were really hot back in the day. Um, NFTs are effectively that um, they're a collectible of a moment of a game, whether it be a Le- LeBron James uh, a slam dunk. Um, the NFL is coming out with one. They're going to call theirs uh, NFL All Day. Uh, Top Shot's done really well. That's the NBA version. Um, and again, it's 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 a combination of right that perfect storm you're talking about before. Uh, global fan base, um, uh, access to cash. So there's a lot of people that have actually made money on crypto. Uh, and then this idea of NFTs uh, merging with art and sport to say, hey, how can I get this? It's a it's a collectible. It's produced in a limited amount. If you've got a high demand, then that's going to create a really, a really um, thriving collectibles and growth market. So that's why, at the moment, if there's a if there's a cash grab, it is the it is the leagues trying to set up these top top shot clones. The NBA was the first to do it and have made a lot of money with top shot. Uh, the NFL are following with the same blockchain technology. They're using the Flow blockchain, um, but I totally expect uh, leagues here to start looking at. A, an NFT collectible of some sort, you know, for AFL and NRL and cricket, um, and try to try to maximise those those pieces. And then people say, "Hey, yes, I've, you know, I'm holding the the Shane Warne hat trick ball or, or whatever." And if they've only produced a hundred of them around the world, um, it will be it will be something that you want to uh, potentially want to collect and, and it'll increase in value. Um, Sean, you mentioned uh, Top Shot and how big it is in the US. I saw that um, that dunk or the NFT of LeBron's dunk sold for four hundred thousand dollars. You mentioned that there's the potential for it expanding into Australia. Do Do you think that there is a market in Australia that it will take off to the same extent here as it has done in the US? Um, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of excitement, and you know, I know a lot of people that that are in Australia that are collecting NFTs and and buying them. Um, I think there's also an opportunity 
Like it, it's it does give you the ability to engage your current audience, but it also brings this crypto audience that just brings this flood of cash and stimulates that market. Now, how sustainable is that once every league has its own NFTs and the market starts to normalize a little bit? Um, that's going to be the that's going to be the thing that's going to be interesting. But again, if there is a uh, you know a collectible of Marcus Bonten Pelly, you know, kicking a goal from the boundary, and there's only 100 of them. A crypto NFT collector might just buy it because it's there's only one in 100, um, and it might cost a, a Bulldogs fan owning that moment. So I'm I'm maybe I'm a bit old fashioned, and I I feel like I'm probably in the wrong generation for this uh, this new movement. <laughs> what, what, in, what do you mean maybe <laughs> in yeah. NFTs? We're so, about to find out. So you, you say there's a hundred copies only of Shane Shane yep. Wall Shane Warne dismissing Mike Gatting or whatever that that great yep. moment in sport was. So how how is that verifiable and is that really going to to stick with with the public? Is it the same as a baseball card where you have that one very very rare card? How how does that work? Uh, it, I mean it is the same as um uh, the the how the baseball and basketball football cards evolved in that they were doing their standard run and there was a glut of supply and then they started making these chase cards so again in the 90s you would open up a pack of upper deck and there'd be a hologram card and it'd be one in every 50 packs and so there'd be people ripping open packs to get that one in 50 that's what's pretty much happening now with these nfts you're buying a pack of nfts for maybe nine to fifteen dollars uh, you're waiting in line on the internet with everybody else hoping to get in and there's 35,000 people in line and you can see the number go down and go down and hopefully you get a pack and then you get a pack and it's a bit Willy Wonka, like I'm opening it up <laughs> and do I get a gold ticket? Do I get a $400,000, you know, there's only five uh... of this LeBron shot in the in the world. So it's, you know, it's on the edge of, is it collecting? Is it like a scratch ticket? It's a bit of both. Um, right. But, you know, if you're in, you can, you know, buy them. People can buy them and flip them. Um, so it, that's when it's just a collectible. I think the next evolution and what we're seeing in the in the video game space is how they might evolve. Like you get an NFT and depending on how, how you interact with it and how you interact with the real world, it might have different functions and might grow and might give you access to the concerts or backstage and those kind of things. So it's not just a collectible like a like a lanyard you might get at a music concert, it might be actually, you know, it might be like an access key and a, and a private pass. So it could merge a few things around experience. You know, you might get an NFT that gets you into the Australian Open, but a certain kind of NFT gets you into a, into one of the lounges and you can just be pulling that up on your phone. So it's, it's some of that stuff that becomes sort of mixed into the experience and the fan engagement mm. piece. But I, that's the bit that excites me. Um, you know, I think the collectible stuff is good. I'm still, I'm still collecting bits of cardboard because there's some really good Australian designers <laughs> doing some cool things. Um, but, but I think the NFT space is, you know, is 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 good for um, you know young artists and what they're doing. But then also it's a potential revenue stream for for sport. And I guess because of blockchain, it's just the it can't be counterfeited, right? Mm. It's it's correct. 100% secure. Correct. Mm. Yeah. So if you buy, if you try to buy a Michael Jordan rookie card for 30, 30 grand you're hoping that it's not a fake like and yes you might get it graded and it's but it still could be a fake and then the idea around blockchain is you can just check the ledger and know it's not and if someone else buys it you can see where it's been and where it's gone um 
so that's yeah that's that's the that, that's the bit that it solved like that there was a big problem getting to be a big problem in trading cards yeah which is why it potentially has uses in financial services and so on and so forth because all that's sort of yep. um yep got it so i'm still I'm a little bit with with Gilly here, Sean. Still sort of getting up to speed, open to to being educated on these the, the collectibleness, if that's a word of of these yep. clips or what what have you. Because the thing I kind of struggle with, or I'm yet to see the the the, the, the yet to see the value in, and therefore why there is demand is. But I can go and see that clip of let's stick with the Shane one example. That you know that yep. that ball of the Shane, Shane. So you might own it, but I can still go and see it, and that's kind of all I want, isn't it? But but clearly to sort of counteract my own question there's obviously a market for this ownership is is this ownership just faddish or is are you do you hold on to something that has intrinsic value well i mean it's just you know it's the same <laughs> as the, it's the same as the person that bought the 495 dollar signed shame one thing from yeah. channel nine from tony greg yeah, right that's uh, that's uh, you know it's yeah. It's exactly the same as that. If you want that same analogy, you know, they say we only do 149 <laughs> because that's how many we like. And you go, oh, well, it's only one of 149. Now, hmm. I guess the difference is, you know, this is not going to end up in your on, you know, in the pool room, in, in, your, your in the pool room, or in your garage, or, or the attic, in yeah. the attic. <laughs> um, you know, and it potentially could be passed on, and and it becomes a thing that that. Uh, um, that you can give to your kids or transfer and those kind of things. Um, and it, it, it just comes down to, from the main thing, is unlock, like, you know, to use the, the Tony Gregg selling system, it's a global market. So he was just selling to a closed market and, you know, you had to find someone else who might want to buy it where this has already got a marketplace there. If you want to flip it at any point, you can just put it up and say, oh, look, I don't want this LeBron James. I've, I bought it for 50. I'm quite happy to sell it for 100 and someone else might want to take it and, Think it's going to be 200 and so they'll they'll take it off your hands mm. right and so because there's that volume of trading and people wanting to um sort of participate in that trading part of it um it, it and and it, you know and the huge demand of these global sports you know makes that uh makes that i guess that wheel keep turning yep yeah yeah absolutely i think um yeah it's interesting thinking about those memorabilia ads that tony Gregg was selling on channel nine mm-hmm. and yeah, and the thing that made it special was it was signed by or something like that. It was still the same picture of the same moment. Mm. Presumably, they're going to you know do something about this so that it's it's official in some way. It's marked up in some way that's you know um, so you're not just watching it on YouTube. You're watching it on YouTube with a watermark that says something or other. I'm intrigued though about where this goes in a similar way to where blockchain's going in financial services. So the, you know the really uh, amazing thing about blockchain in financial services is the smart contract thing. So, I mean, you were talking about it to do with tickets and access, and you might have different sort of um, things that are connected. But I reckon when you start thinking about where these things go over time, it it almost becomes like a great big multi bet on something or other that you can have uh, you know access to this, and if something happens to that, then something else happens to this. And I think you know when you start imagining that in a stadium. Yeah, I'm sticking with crypto.com for a second, but yep. I mean, it's it's why it's such a good fit with sport that has all of these combinations that you can actually see it getting quite, you know, speculative in a, in in all sorts of ways, and it's just creating that that platform. Um, I really don't know where it's going. Do you do you have any sort of outlandish ideas you've heard about about where these smart contracts might come into play? Can I just sorry? Oh, I can I just it's... jump in? Sorry, Steve. It's smart smart contract. Is it worth getting clarification on what that means, or should we just let Sean talk? Well, yeah, you can talk to Sean. And, and yeah. Okay. We'll right sorry, Sean. Carry on. I mean, I think the smart contract is what it sounds like. 
you know, it is the interop. It, I think it's going to be the interoperability of the of the new web. Like, so this is where the metaverse and Web three and everything that Mark Zuckerberg why they changed their name. That's that's what um, that's this is the space we're playing in. So this is where you know you might if you have a crypto.com app and you walk into crypto.com arena and you have certain NFTs in your crypto.com wallet. That's when those three things will tick the box that gets you into the club when someone else doesn't get into the club. Okay. Um, which just replaces the medallion that you you previously yeah. would, was given because of that. So, and then I think the other piece is the actual traits and how those smart contracts connect to ticketing systems and email systems and attendance, you know, and, and the stadiums. So then the, the, the token and the smart con can be can know that you have been to the MCG, that you have gone to the game, that you have watched a game on KO. So all of those things can start, uh, you know, becoming almost a pseudo loyalty system because you've got these tokens, and you might be rewarded with more tokens or more uh, more opportunities because of it. Because that's the other part um, that's that's probably more in the dangerous territory is sports teams and and infrastructure to effectively build your own currency around your own team. Um, wow. So some of the European teams um, and some of the NBA teams. Uh, so one of the other providers is Socios. And they're being, being very aggressive in um, acquiring teams who say, hey, we can launch, a, launch a, uh, a coin for your team and then allow the, allow the fans to buy these coins and then use them for experiences and voting rights and different things like that. So, um, you know, PSG, when they signed Messi, right, you know, did a raise. They got fans to buy these coins. Messi got a bunch of these coins. So, one, he can manipulate the market if he wants to get rid of them. <laughs> um, but but the idea is these coins will help decide, decide maybe what the next jersey is. And mm. if you've got the coins... If you've got the tokens, again using all of these words interchangeably, if you've got the tokens, you might be able, uh, might be able to do it. Um, you've that's got a vote. the bit that's you've got to vote. But that's the bit for mine. Um, that that's a bit icky at the moment. Like raising, you know, raising money to allow fans to vote on things. Um, when you know we can run a Twitter poll and get them to vote on things. Why do <laughs> we need to to do it? Um, I like the idea of actually, you know, vesting letting fans vest because of they're doing it. You know, if they got a ticket, if they got a membership, they should have one. They should have a token and they should start having some vesting rights of, from their activities. Um, so that's where I think it will come in, but it's a matter of, you know, how does the tech catch up to where sport is? And sport's notoriously a bit of a laggard in, in being the best in tech and best in interoperability, you know, trying to get a stadium, different ticketing partners, club databases, you know, league data, all connected is going to be a is going to be tough to do, but that's where I that's where I see it potentially going. You open your phone, you'll have different tokens on there that represent different parts of your life, um, and that you'll you know you'll be tapping on to get into a stadium, and then it'll start having a bit. It'll start affecting your experience in the stadium, or affecting your experience mm. on your phone. Like mm. you you go in, you tap on, it says, oh by the way, you've you know you can now go to the bar and get a free beer because you've done all these things. Your token says so. Um, so that's where I think potentially, you know, what the experience of crypto.com might be in the future. Sean, what do you, what do you think is going to happen with cryptocurrencies, uh, non-fungible tokens in terms of 
concentration of the market over time because right now it's very diverse i don't know how many cryptocurrencies there are probably thousands maybe hundreds of yep. thousands it's yeah. And if every football club, every major football club and every major sports team around the world is doing their own thing, after a period of time, that's going to become unsustainable and uneconomic. So are we, are we then going to see a, a some some kind of concentration in the market? There, There is a little bit. I mean, the Socios uh, coin, like all the clubs sit on their framework. So effectively, they're on that currency. Okay. Um, Rebadged version of a single of a particular currency. Yeah, yeah. yeah effectively, right. you go into the Socios app and you can go, oh, there's my PSG coins, or there's my Arsenal coins, or there's my Warriors coins, but they all sit on top of the the Socios Chili's coin. Um, but even now, we're seeing the op. You know, we're seeing people front run that that currency when they go, oh, the Warriors just signed, and they sell the currency and it goes down, and so the volatility of the the uh, the currency that the platform's on is the concern. If, if if everyone abandons it, then those coins aren't worth anything. Um, and as far as, you know, um, I'm not an expert in blockchain and altcoins and all of that kind of stuff, but, you know, everyone looks at, at Bitcoin as the, as, the, as the big player in the space and then everything else is an altcoin and, tr you know, trying to figure out what those altcoins do, what technology they power. Um, it is a bit like playing, uh, playing the stocks. Um, but you know, and looking at the internet and seeing where the, seeing where the rumors rumors go. But you know, things like Crypto.com making that signing. I think it was fifty five cents um, when they signed, and now they're now their coins at about a dollar ten. So you know, and again, that's just what that served the purpose, right? So they want to get exposure. They got a lot of exposure. Whole people put money in. So crypto's effectively doubled their cap um, in a couple of weeks. So they probably covered that seven hundred million. I think I think it's a great point, and I, I think what you find with different blockchain technologies is some of them are better at doing different things. So yep. you know, Ethereum plays nice with others. Bitcoin was very much in the currency space. Quarter is one that's built for financial services because it's about transactions. Socios is trying to trying to corner this club market. They're actually all not very good at playing with each with other, each other right. yet, mm. and so I think there's a a little bit of Darwinism that's going to play out here, and a real. Yep betting on the sport I, you know i love that that thing you just said about you know the warriors sign someone and and the currency goes up it, it's mm. like i don't know mm. australia doing a, a submarine deal all right <laughs> currency goes up currency goes down that's wouldn't have been on a smart contract though <laughs> it wasn't very smart at all <laughs> oh well, look this is it's got all the hallmarks of beta versus vhs that, that's what i'm oh. hearing <laughs> it, it does it does except there will i mean that's the thing. I mean, even if you do look at any of these platforms, they're just they're just three letter characters that you're looking through. It's like looking randomly at stock tickers, yeah, but actually yeah. going in and trying to figure out what the technology does, why the coin exists, how it powers, um, and some of the impacts of it. I mean, one of the things that is coming up is you know people are minting NFTs to for collectible, but the amount of power it requires of the mm. computers to do it. Um, you know, it does raise some sustainability concerns um, uh, around what the costs are and and you know what the impact and on the environment impact is. Impact on climate. That's what I can't believe. All this brand new, brand spanking technology, and one of the big concerns is its impact on climate, which is a whole other conversation. But Sean, look, we might leave it there. Really appreciate you joining us on uh, on for and against to enlighten us around blockchain, crypto, and NFT. Thanks, for, thanks very much. No, not a problem. Cheers, guys. Sean Callanan joining us there, the founder of Sports Geek. And for all you Pies fans, current nominee for the Collingwood Board. 
So who knows, by the time you actually listen to this, maybe indeed a board member at the Pies. Uh, we'll be back in just a sec. Yes, on to the shootout now where we uh, cover, uh, in this case, just a couple of topics in slightly uh, quicker fashion. So Chinese tennis star Peng Shui created quite the storm by accusing a senior member of the Chinese Communist Party, party that it would be, of rape. Uh, China being China, she promptly disappeared off the face of the earth, but for a few very carefully managed appearances since when the rest of the world noticed she'd vaporised. It's a pretty brave step she took, really, in, in coming out and making that accusation, given what we know of how the Chinese government likes to manage the message. Very, very brave, Steph. I mean, uh, th- this guy, Zhang um, Gaoli, uh, very senior politician in China, deputy prime minister and a uh, um, member of the Politburo Standing Committee, which is basically the seven most powerful people mm, well. in China. So to come out on a public platform and say what she said... Uh, she's either very brave or wasn't thinking very clearly when she when she did it. But the, the, the this, I mean, there's so many scary things about this. But that post was taken down in 30 minutes. Mm. And now, if you're in China, if you do any kind of search on either her or or him or the or the politician, you'll find articles about them from the past, unrelated. But all of the comments under those articles are not accessible um, <laughs> in case there's one person who said something about this case. So it's um, be fascinating to see how this one unfolds. Wow. That's almost as draconian as the new proposed social media laws here in Australia. <laughs> almost. <laughs> no, no, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, diminish it like that. Obviously it's in, incredibly serious. And, and um, you know, I think the, the suggestion that she's been coerced to appear at all, you know, I mean, geez, it was somewhat ironic, wasn't it, that um, the appearance was with Thomas Bach from the IOC, um, and we do have the Winter Olympics in China next year. So was that actual was was that made public? I have seen reports of the IOC telling us that they had a conversation with her. Yeah, no, there's some video footage. There of, is, is there of him uh, speaking to her over VidCon. Okay, alrighty, but yeah, it's all very convenient. She was at her house. The so I'm yeah. not sure if she's been let out of her house <laughs> with the door locked from the outside. He didn't ask about the allegations either. <laughs> yeah. Fancy that. Um, moving on to, as threatened a little earlier in the show, the all-time earners list within sports. So, um, very interesting list came out uh, in mid-November, I think it was. Of the well, I think it was about the top twenty-five, but it's worth just rattling through the top ten, and and just worthy worthy of knowing that this is not earnings from playing. It's on on field and it's the lot. The lot. It's right. the lot. Income derived from sporting Got endeavor, it. basically. Does that include from Bitcoin, crypto, and other you know, investments look, of a dubious unknown nature? Look, I must say I didn't look deeply into the methodology, <laughs> but I don't see why it couldn't. Okay. Oh, um, good yeah, because the list was pretty recent, so I don't see why not. Um, so topping the list, I think we've all had a look at the list. There's no point doing a pop quiz, is there? Is Michael Jordan at three and a half bill, and this is all US dollars, obviously, but it's also been inju- adjusted for inflation because there's a few players who haven't been active for a while. the The stat I like, loved about Jordan's uh, pile was that only six percent of it came from actually playing, and he was earning good money when he played. Uh, the rest of it from gambling. <laughs> <laughs> He's a really good golfer under pressure. Yeah, uh, gambling in Bitcoin, perhaps. Uh, yeah, apparently 1.35 bill from Nike since he retired almost 20 years ago. And I suppose those first Air Jordans did, co- did come out in 1984 or something like that it was. But I, I tell you, that's, it's pretty good 
that they're still selling them. I mean, you think of any other sports player, you know, their their shoe, their boot, their racket sells for a while, but to be selling nearly forty years later, that's you know nuts. Yeah, it's mm. a name that's synonymous <coughs> with the sport in a way that no other sporting name is. Yeah, and just the the, the name itself carries. Um, commercial and cultural clout, Jordan. Mm. Everyone knows what that's about. Um, rattling through the list, Tiger Woods at 2.8, Arnold Palmer at 2, 2 Bill that is, Jack Nicholas, sorry, Nicholas, uh, 1.8. Uh, so three golfers in the in the top top four there, Jono. And we'd get golf into Yeah, it. and golf wins this, just a spoiler alert, that, that three in the top ten was the best of any sport. Ronaldo, Floyd Mayweather, LeBron James is the second of the two Basketball's in the top 10. Messi makes the second footballer. Schumacher comes in at nine with one and a half bill, which, um, I mean this respectfully, is impressive given he's been out of action since 2013. Mm. Um, and uh, Roger Federer rounds out the top 10. Still going strong. 1.5, exactly. Uh, and then our, our very own Greg Norman at uh, 1.1 bill comes in at the 15th. The 15th mark. Yeah, I reckon Good he earns most of it from advertising connected to his Instagram. You know what? He's he's come up with another little learner, which I'm going to save for red card, yellow card. Just Ooh. a little teaser there for the rest of the show. Uh, and the last point of interest to well for the for the segment, uh, Serena Williams is the highest uh, highest placed woman. It's just inside the top forty with six hundred and forty eight mil. So still good going. Hey, listen, I know you said the golf one, you know, for the top ten, but if you go to the top hundred, basketball wins. Oh, okay, right. Twenty eight in the top hundred. Wow. And then we get to football with 11, and then you get golf with six. Oh, no, just go top 10. That's why I like, that's well, I like you, Steve. You know how to work stats to um, to get golf out of the out of the top spot. So, Steve, 10 years from now, who's on that list at the top? Who's who's unseating Michael Ooh. Jordan? Ooh, that's a good Boy, point. well, I mean, Le- LeBron, LeBron is going to do his best. I think uh, Tiger Woods, I think, probably has lost his spot. Floyd Mayweather, is he, if he fights another couple of YouTubers, might go past Isn't him. he about 45, Floyd Mayweather yeah, or something? But, you know, he can fight anybody yeah, now. Yeah, so. Yeah, extraordinary. Oh, a really, uh, let me think about that for 10 seconds. Any Anyone else got a, I think, got a view? I think Rog has got a lot of life left in him at number 10 there at 1.5. Bill, I know he's got a long way to go. He's got $2 billion yeah. gap to, to Jordan, but I think he'll, he'll, he'll climb up that list, Federer. Fair call. All right. Oh, well, they will agree on that. It sounds yeah, to yeah. me like it's time for a red card, yellow card. Yes, red card, yellow card, where um, we enjoy bringing back into the spotlight the indiscretions of people involved in sport, uh, the things that they wish we had forgotten about, but it's our duty in red card, yellow card to make sure that we don't forget. And Steve, uh, start us off. What do you got for us, mate? So I have Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen from the Speaking of Jordan. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, here's a guy, the world's best lieutenant, the world's best number two, we just talked about Jordan being miles above everybody else for earnings, for his career. And I think um, Scotty was always connected with that somehow. Unfortunately, The Last hmm. Dance came out and he wasn't mm. too happy with mm. how he was portrayed. So he's brought up, put out a book of his own. He's learned Michael Jordan. I'm not going to actually uh, nominate him for saying Michael Jordan. That's a teammate thing. You know, you go ups and downs. I'm sure Michael's going to let him off. Although, having watched The Last Dance, I don't think he will. He'll say, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll take it personally and prove him wrong in some way and make another $100 billion. We've all been there. <laughs> the, what I want to uh, uh, nominate him for was for dissing Tom Brady and saying that Tom Brady is not the greatest NFL player that ever lived. Now, I know, you know, who cares? 
But yep. this is this is this is a guy that at forty three just won another Super Bowl. This is a guy that has been at the top of his craft for twenty years in the most physically demanding sport with a big target on his back. And Scotty Scotty is deciding there's almost seventy players on every team. You know, so is he playing on every side of the football? Is he on kickoff? Is he on punt returns? I mean, how do you please someone like Scotty Pippen? Wow. <laughs> what what category does this red card, yellow card fall into? Yeah. It's, it comes under I, I, I don't know. Get back at you. Yellow. It's, it's not right. Give him a yellow. yellow. Yeah, yellow, yellow, I think. Indecision <laughs> means yellow. Radio. Sounds like a bitter and twisted uh, former good player. Uh, John, what about yourself, mate? Don't know if I can raise the bar from that, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, you know, I'm always very fond of raising uh, or referring to some football Mad Monday shenanigans. Absolutely. Mm. Been pretty quiet on that front. Very. Very quiet. And I'm not sure that we can blame COVID anymore, given that everyone's mm. out of lockdown. I was expecting mm. some more. Uh, grist to the mill. Because um, you and I have had our own red card, yellow card experiences already post post we uh, have, release. We? Yeah, yeah but that's a, that's it's, another story. It's another story for yeah. not this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but yes, look, I've come up with uh, Melbourne Storm hooker, the cheese. You know the um, cheese, Brandon cheese. Smith. Do you know why he's called the cheese? Just out of interest. Do we... jo- Joey Johns says that he w- he looked like a block of cheese with legs. Okay. Yeah. Now, now you know. <laughs> anyway, this is not uh, Brandon's white powder incident from Man Bun- Monday itself, which is a few months ago now. That perhaps demonstrated that Brandon wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. But I think we can now confirm that fact because over the past couple of days, Brandon was interviewed on a podcast. And I think it was one of his mates who was interviewing him. And so... You've got to be careful being interviewed on podcasts. You do, Mm. I know. And he was a little bit loose with what he was saying. So it's no secret that he's shopping himself around to a couple of different clubs. Um, So I don't think that came as a big surprise to his team, the Storm. But what did come as a surprise was how infatuated and how impressed he was with the Roosters setup. So I'll read you out the quote that he he said, and I think it demonstrates that he's just got no filter whatsoever. He said, it was actually mind-blowing. I can't explain it. Like I went and golfed with Jared, with Orbo and Friendy, and Nick Politis was ringing them. He's over in LA on a business trip at the moment, and he's ringing them just to see how they are. And they spoke with so much passion about the club. I think the best thing about the Roosters, bro, they're about your life, not your footy. I was just looking at that Roosters jersey going, I want to win a premiership in that jersey. Oh, beautiful. So it'd be fair to say those comments went down like a lead balloon with <laughs> Craig Bellamy and the Storm, and I think they're currently in talks about potentially cutting him loose. Yeah, fair enough. So a self a self derived red card, I think a so. self uh, whatever own goal, yep. or or not if he wanted to. Get, well, you know, get out of his contract. contract. Yeah, ah. maybe he's maybe. not. Maybe he's actually pretty sharp after Super all. With the cheese and credit, hey, <laughs> it's well managed. Maybe well, 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 yeah, managing the message well. Gilly, what do you got for us, mate? Lots of interesting new red card, yellow cards in in recent months. Last month, I nominated Eric Cantona for bad mm. poetry, or maybe maybe good poetry, <laughs> yeah, depending yeah, on your on something your, else on your point of view. But tonight, uh, it's a little bit controversial, but I want to good. nominate Brazilian footballer Davison for diving or or simulation, as they call it in football. Uh, I know, strictly speaking, this happened on the field of Mm, play, but we all know that simulation is the scourge of football. It has no place in the game, so I'm taking the position, supported by legal counsel, that (laughs) 
we can we can count this as happening off the field of play. David, so, you may proceed. <coughs> thank you, Paul. So this this ha- actually happened in the Copa Libertadores final, biggest biggest club game in Latin America, and it had all of the hallmarks of terrible simulation, minimal to no contact, uh, spectacular falling to the ground, then writhing around on the ground in agony, while at the same time kind of looking out of the corner of your eye to see where the referee is. <laughs> The one interesting element of this particular example was the fact that the the player who made the minimal to no contact with Davison was, in fact, the referee. <laughs> who wasn't that impressed and unsurprisingly did not award a foul in Davison's favour. So so, he's got sort of a tap on the shoulder or a bit of a pat on the bum? The, the faintest little touch on the back and he it, it's as if he's been shot in the back with an oh, elephant awesome. rifle. Yeah. Awesome. Falls Good to stuff. the ground. Brilliant stuff. Uh, red card for him. He's actually been sent off previously for bad simulation, actually <laughs> by a referee. So it's just a red card from every possible angle. So, so wait a second. It's your issue here, the scourge, the, sim- the simulation is the scourge football. Or are you saying... Bad simulation. Is this red card because he was just bad at it? Yeah, I think I think the latter. Well, that's what I'm reading, Gilly. It's well, a red okay, card because as, of, as, if, if he'd done a good simulation, that would have been all right. Well, if I was Italian, I'd say yes, good simulation. <laughs> it's like it's part, it's a skill in the game. But well, isn't the card the fact that it was the, the simulation was as a result of a ta- of a contact with the referee? It was very bad simulation in that it was like B grade acting. Plus the fact that he actually wasn't touched by anybody other than the referee, I think, just puts it. Ref gave him a pat in the back. The player didn't obviously. The player didn't see it was the ref, but instinctively just hit the deck. Oh, I got a tap on the back. I hit the deck and hey, ref! What? Oh, it was the ref. <laughs> Red card. Um, so we spoke about the Saudi sovereign fund, uh, sovereign wealth fund PIF, in our last show in the context of sports washing. Well, it's popped up again. Because uh, it's backing some sort of breakaway golf tour, a, a ten tournament series in the Asian tour across ten years from 2022, promising some 200 million dollars in prize money. Jono, even I'm a bit desensitised to announcements about Rebel Golf Tours. They seem to be coming up all the Left time, right but center, do they ever actually get off the ground? They haven't as yet, but I think this one could have legs. All right, well, well, hear me out. So, if you're a country that's basically nothing to do with with uh, with golf then suddenly want to do a, a lot to do with golf, then you need a well-recognised golfing identity to, to front your enterprise, obviously. And so who better to do that than the 15th uh, highest all-time earner in sport, Greg Norman. The great man himself. Ah, so thanks, Greg, for facilitating some further sports washing of the Saudi regime. But uh, I just want to give you some quotes. It's not the, 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 the quotes worth going into to um, further validate the car that we'll be dishing out shortly. So uh, he spoke to Golf Digest about this little venture, and, and they asked him basically if he had any qualms. And he said, uh, the PIF, which is our major investor, they're obviously a commercial operation. They're very autonomous, not just autonomous, but very autonomous, which clearly they're not. They invested in this golfing enterprise for a commercial opportunity. They're passionate about the game of golf. Of course they are. Yeah, newly passionate. How many Saudi Arabians are in the top He, uh, He carries on. I've been going to Saudi Arabia now for three years. Unless you actually go there and see and understand exactly what's happening there, you can't sit back and make judgment calls. So you have to go somewhere before you can make a judgment I mean, the call. shark does have intellectual curiosity, would be fair to say. <laughs> I haven't finished. I made the journey there to look at what was happening in Saudi Arabia before I made any decision on anything because I'm not a person who makes judgment calls. I make sound decisions on sound facts and information that is presented to you. In other words, by, say, the ruling family who wants to portray a certain view, um, blah, 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 blah. And finally, I've been so impressed. You walk into a restaurant and there are women. They're not wearing burqas. They're out playing golf. Put any glasses. 
Oh, good on you, really Greg. Conducted his own survey. And uh, let's say so you asked earlier who who would um, shoot up that list of all time earners. Look, with the money the Saudis have got, I think maybe Greg actually is a is a smoky there for for earning some good good petrodollars. Well, who's the, someone who's the top earner on the Asian PGA Tour, like Hideki exactly. Matsuyama or who someone? Knows? Yeah. Who knows? Well, He's going to increase the profile. <laughs> you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of David Hasselhoff, you know, taking credit for right. bringing down the Berlin, oh, the Berlin Wall. Wall. <laughs> yeah. Mm, mm. Well, Greg Norman is bringing Saudi Arabia into the 21st into the century. World. Through the game of golf and his own brilliance. The great the great diplomat. Uh, so, uh, red card? Are you happy for me to throw yeah, a red card? Definitely red. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Got on you, Greg. Um, given us so much pleasure over the years. Uh, and with the end of Red Card, Yellow Card, that uh, brings us to the end of, of Four and Against, episode 15, for those keeping count. Uh, Steve, great to have you here in person. Unfortunately, I think you'll be uh, returning to your lounge room for episode 16. Yeah, in all honesty, there's a bit of an anticlimax. I'm going to go home and uh, <laughs> next time. Yeah. The proof you can do it on Zoom. Yep. Well, thank you and goodbye. Uh, Jono, thanks again for your contribution. Always we'll see you next you. time. And uh, David Gill to you. Thanks, mate. Thanks. I'll be sending Greg Norman a copy of George Orwell's 1984 for mm. Christmas, I think. Good call. And uh, next time we meet will be pre-Christmas and uh, just before, hopefully, the uh, the Fornians Christmas party, which I'm looking forward to. John, we, we might create our own uh, another red card, yellow card moment for ourselves. I should hope so. Who knows? Uh, but until such time, it's uh, it's me, Paul Roach. Thank you for your company. Thanks for listening to For and Against. Uh, it's goodbye for now. We'll, uh, we'll speak to you again in a month's time.